Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with D&D? I know I am, and I feel like I haven't done this in a while, but I am joined, as I am usually joined, by the misty, marvelous, and monumental Mad Wizard Merwin. Hey, Sean, what's going on? Uh, I am not running up and down the street with a knife killing people. That's true. I mean, there we, we had a we, we heard a rumor that Google Hangouts, which is usually how we talk, is going away, so we're like, well, let's try Discord. And then, of course, I tried to call him, Sean, and then Sean was hearing this happy music, and he couldn't get rid of it, and it wouldn't stop, and he threatened death, and I'm like, just turn it off. Just turn it off, man. Just turn it off. It, it's a good thing Chris was the reasonable one this morning, because otherwise it would have been mass carnage here in Fredonia. Yeah, I don't really want to see a bunch of people die, and, no. and really, it's just because I want to see Sean Merwin keep making cool D and D stuff. So I, I, I would like that. I would like that. All right. Well, now that we've gotten that ridiculousness out of the way, we have announcements. Well, we have just one announcement because we have an interview at the end of this episode. Uh, who's that interview with? The interview is with Fenway Jones, uh, famously of Jasper Game Day, and she has other stuff that's going on. So. Uh, I sat down and chatted with her about all the stuff that she's doing, both for charity and in her gaming work. Very cool. So we're going to do our one announcement, then we're going to do um, another part of our adventure designs a series, uh, adventure types. We might do a few episodes on that, because there's many adventure types. Mm -hmm. But So hit me with the announcement, man. The announcement is a big one. That's why we're saving it for just one announcement this week. What? Big? It is The Descent. So it's not only big, but it's deep. It is big and deep. Uh, mm. So the descent is the next step in the evolution of Wizards of the Coast's live stream announcement series that they've been doing every spring or early summer for the last few years to announce their big uh, release, usually in around September. So this year, the descent is getting away from the stream of uh, motif that they've had going. It's taking place in Los Angeles, and the reason they changed the name is they want to rebrand it as not just a live stream that people can watch, but as a sort of celebration of D&D across between a convention and a live stream. Uh-huh. So they are selling tickets. They are on sale as of now, and I assume there are some left, but I bet they will go pretty quickly if they haven't gone already. Um, the tickets are $300, but that is for the entire weekend, and it includes an awful lot of stuff. It, this it does what, sound pretty cool. It, 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 it does sound pretty cool. I will be there um, not as a $300 ticket buyer, but as someone who will be working there. Oh, um, my. Running games and helping out in whatever way I can. So the uh, the first thing is you get to witness the live unveiling of the new D&D storyline. From the studio on Friday, May 17th at 4 p.m. That's when this whole event starts, Friday afternoon. Look, um, look, I'm not going to grill you or drill you with questions, but you said working there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I wonder if that means something in the vernacular, like are, are maybe maybe job-wise. But I'm not going to ask you. I'll also let the Internet ask you, Sean. So okay. that, that's all I'm saying about that. Sure. I will. Uh, I will. Probably talk about it a bit throughout this announcement and more uh, as we approach the day. But so you, you get to see the live announcement. Great. Um, you get to play a three hour session of a D&D Adventures League epic that previews elements from the new storyline. Uh, those will be running on Saturday or Sunday. And anyone can play in the D&D epic. No experience necessary with D&D or the Adventures League. Um, if you do have Adventures League characters, it will be a tier one or tier two adventure. Uh, your choice. And there will also be pre-made first-level characters that you can jump in and play with any of the 25 tables that will be playing this epic adventure all at the same time. Ooh. Yep. So if you're not an Adventures League uh, veteran, an epic adventure is an adventure that is being played by multiple tables at the same time. So... The table next to you is playing the same adventure, but you're also playing within the same world. So you can sometimes affect each other's tables, and there are often group goals that can either succeed or fail based on the total combined work of all the tables. And in this case, there will be 25 of them playing all at once in the studio. 
uh, for your thirty dollars. Not only do you get that thirty, three hundred, three hundred. Sorry, three hundred for that three hundred dollars. You also get a swag bag. And usually, when Wizards does something like this, they go all the way. Oh my lord! Like so I'm looking at some of the stuff that you're going to get. Like there's yeah. going to be one an advanced copy of the Ghost of Salt Marsh, but it looks like Beetle and Grim. You know the people that made that that box mm-hmm. of stuff for Waterdeep Dragon Eyes. It looks like they're going to have some things there too. Yep. Um, yeah. All of D and D's partners will have stuff to throw into the swag bag. Uh, I if if I were a betting man, I would bet that that three hundred dollars um, that you pay for your ticket will probably cover, if you're a collector, the stuff that's in the swag bag. Um, Probably. Yes. Not only all of that, but every night there will be some sort of D&D entertainment, uh, whether it is a live game from Jeremy Crawford, Kate Welch, Chris Perkins, uh, to any of the multitude of live streamers that will be there running things. Um, You get to mingle with D&D partners and costume characters in an adventure-themed marketplace. Um, and so the the storyline of the new D and D product that they're announcing sets the tone and the theme for this costumed um, set, if you will. And so there's cosplay going on, uh, lots of different booths to go to to see different things with performers, um, products, all sorts of things. And then on Sunday night there is a live music performance performance celebrating D&D uh, featuring artists assembled by Chris Funk including Cardioid and Magic Sword so live D&D themed uh, bands and uh, it's going to be quite a production if what I have seen so far uh, holds true man I have no idea who these bands are um, that is a good question I believe we're gonna cut here (laughs) let me look up chris funk uh i was thinking that he was uh from the decemberist right he is the uh a band member from the decemberist interesting i'm trying to find music from this stuff it's pretty pretty crazy like uh, these bands have been around i guess since for a while like some of their stuff is uh magic sword is from 2015 they have music out from then Um, the, uh, cardioid, I saw an album from 2017 and a new one from 2018. So yep. assuming that they're the same bands that I'm thinking they are, I'm very, uh, like, now I'm curious. I'll have to go check this stuff out. Yep. And but, when uh, you, when you have a show in LA, then you start getting into a different level of performance and guests than you might see if it was, you know, in the Midwest or even on the East Coast. So it is generally a great time with a lot of surprises, and they're really upping their game this year, I think, uh, to try to make this even, taking it even to the next level. I mean, if this Magic Sword band is the band that I think they are, like from what I'm looking at, it seems like they play a lot of uh, cool chip tune video game-style music, which I yep. kind of dig a lot, so. There you go. So, like I said, tickets are on sale. Uh, there's a link that we will have in the show notes. But if you just go to dnd.wizards.com, DND Live 2019, you will see everything that you need to see and where to get tickets and um, what else is going on. It's like and a even, month away. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very close. And the the other cool thing they're doing this year is they're really having four different studios. Um, before it was one stream where you could just watch one long continuous thing uh this time they're 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 doing four different things at once so you could switch channels to see if if live stream you know is your thing want to see gaming you can go to this channel if you want to see announcements or see some music you can switch to this channel so it'll be a really a multi-platform uh experience as well Man, I hope this really works well, and I think it will. It seems like it will, because, like, this is neat. Like, it's a D&D festival. Mm-hmm. And I know that they've put a lot of effort and time and money into it. Yeah. So, like, not a con, like a festival. Like, right, exactly. a legit festival. <laughs> yep. And it's great that they're bringing gaming into it, right? Because that's what really has been missing, I think, in the last few, was you, you got to watch people play, right? But if watching people play isn't your thing and you just want to play yourself, 
there there wasn't that option, and now there is. So I'm glad that they're bringing that element uh, into it as well. Huh. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, I mean, the descent. It sounds awesome. I can't wait to can't wait to watch it. Mm-hmm. Me too. All right. Well, I suppose we should get on with our main topic for the day. Let's do it. Uh, types of adventures. Mm-hmm. So, uh, adventure types. True story. This. Yeah, adventure types. We talked a little bit about it in um, our previous issue of this series, mm-hmm. but they are heists, dungeon crawling, investigation, exploration, dramatic conflicts, event based stuff. Uh, we also had some little additions in there, like the uh, the siege, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about that. And uh, I mean, I me- we mentioned the dungeon. The dungeon we'll talk about in a little while is kind of a kind of a hybrid in some ways with yep. some unique pieces. Yep. So, so Sean, like, why do we? Why why is it important to even define any of these types of adventures? Well, I think it's important to to do. Because whether you're writing one or DMing one or even if you're playing an adventure of one of these types, it's good to know um, the structure. It's good to know where, if we we go back to the word beats, right? It's good to know where the regular beat structure rests within all of these different frameworks uh, because it will help you as as a writer um, to get your feet wet and to recognize... uh, throughout history what D&D or RPG adventures uh, have looked like. As, as a DM, it helps to be able to understand them so you can hit the right beats and you can get the most out of an adventure where all the dramatic bits are, um, you know, where the rests are, all, all of that. And then as a player, it's just it's good to be able to recognize patterns, right? That's what our brain wants to do, recognize patterns. True, and, and, so, and those those beats, the predominant beats of these different types of frameworks, too, because these different frameworks will have different predominant beats. Yep. Um, so just in general, you know, framework is a type of structure that we can hang our adventures on. Um, it informs the gameplay of the adventure and which mechanisms will be highlighted more than others. So uh-huh. that's, that's a very summed up way that Chris wrote of what I just rambled on about for, you know, two minutes. No, that's that's perfectly fine. And in fact, we talked about it a little bit in the last uh, installment of this series. So yep. let's let's dive into some of these um, these frameworks. So we I mentioned yep. heists, which are essentially the box. So when you have a box, um, there's an objective, and there's that objective is there's some sort of MacGuffin that needs to be gotten from a secure location or taken into a secure location. So to use two two. Two to- two uh, examples for that for everyone out there. Um, if you've ever seen the show Leverage, pretty much Leverage is always a get a MacGuffin from a secure location mm-hmm. for the most part. Now, to flip it on the epic fantasy scale, taking the ring to Mordor and throwing it into the into Mount Doom is also a box. It's a secure location that has to be gotten into and br- object brought to it. True. I mean, they're, they're essentially both boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you have a box, one of the important things is that there are going to be a number of known and unknown obstacles that keep the objective from being achieved. If you think about those two examples, you can see all of them, especially the Lord of the Rings. It's it's pretty simple. Like, hmm, let's see, known objectives. There's a whole lot of orcs and nastiness and gates and whatnot that keep people out of Mordor. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the one pass that you can get through, there's a freaking nasty spider that lives there that's like a demon. Mm-hmm. So they they didn't know that was there, really. Sort of did, but not really. So uh, those are known and unknown obstacles that keep the objective from being achieved. Um, There's also often a twist that complicates the objective from being achieved. So um, any heist story you've ever watched, you know what I'm talking about, Sean, that thing that happens that you don't expect to happen, right? Right, right. They, uh, you know, they they change the lock system the day before the heist is supposed to take place. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Or there's always, you know, there's always a guard where there wasn't a guard when they when they did the recon of the place. Yep. So so no matter no matter how well you prepare to to pull off your heist, there's always going to be that at least that one thing that you have to deal with that you were not expecting to deal with. It's just kind of a trope that goes in there. It's a beat that you put in your story. Mm-hmm. Um in these kinds of of frameworks, combat and violence are often a last resort and usually one of the worst ways to accomplish the objective. Mm-hmm. And it's also a way to to fail achieving the objective often. Like if you start fighting with things, usually the box will turn on you and usually the box is much stronger than you are. So it will kill you. 
yep. or push you away or keep you from getting what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the play of this often has a series of information and asset gathering encounters as the party is planning the heist, which then culminates in breaking into the box by using all of the assets and information gathered and dealing with any surprises that arise before the objective is unachievable. Mm-hmm. So we should probably talk about how to D&D this up, right? Sure. Since you know the show's called Down with D and D, right? I, I think probably that would work, Chris. Yeah. So I, I guess step one, you have to create a MacGuffin, mm-hmm. something that you want to get, yep. or you know take into a place. Um, step two is would be creating your box by deciding the trappings and theme of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any examples, maybe? You know, I ha- I have a pretty good example because I just wrote one recently. Oh, uh, good. Called the Kunderic Job for Eberron. Yeah. Yeah, that, you did. <laughs> that is basically the exact thing that we're describing here. Um, the structure was this vault, right? This vault that's uh, kept by House Kunderic, who is the, the dwarven um, house of Eberron. The, their dragon mark has to do with warding um, and protecting. And so the, the whole objective is to break in to find this bit of uh, information I'm not going to spoil the whole adventure, but, you know, they're breaking in to get the MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. That's and exactly so what it I, is. When I created it, I had the MacGuffin. That was the, the whole point of this is to um, to get in and get that. The box I created was this House Kunderic uh, bank. And then uh, the next is to create the obstacles. So if they're big on security, they need security measures. So I created the security measures. Uh, where are the guards? Where are the traps? Where are those things? Um, and then I gave the PCs a way to discover some of the that ahead of time and ways to start uh, gathering the equipment necessary to get past the obstacles. Yeah, so create those obstacles is, is like the next next thing and decide which are known by the PCs at the beginning of the venture and which are not because, you right. know, it's a thing that usually happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like you said, you should have ways for the PCs to discover those obstacles that are not known and then have also ways to neutralize the obstacles that are known. And those can usually be played out either like during the middle of the heist or via small scenes that get played out. And when you are creating these things, you should think about... Um, how they're going to acquire these assets to deal with an obstacle, how they might get leverage on an obstacle to make it unavailable to unable to perform its task, um, how to maybe turn an obstacle into an asset. That is a thing that can happen in a heist. And also how like to degrade the obstacle to something that's easier to deal with. So, for instance, like, well, you poison the, the really good guard so that they get replaced with the really bad guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in the Kunderic job, the obstacle, uh, the the twist that we were talking about is that there is another group that has broken in and is looking for uh, the same object. So, Ooh. so therefore, uh, the turning an obstacle into an asset, you can then use the security of the place against this other group um, that is trying to get to the same thing. Yeah, then they can become your distraction. Yep. Yep, and so there's lots of different ways uh, to make the box work in that in that sense. Um, that's pretty cool. For you or against you, love it. Yeah. All right, so that's the that's the box, and which is usually what heists are. Yep. So let's uh, let's talk about the trail now. Which the let's. trail is a framework. Uh, yep. They tend to be investigations. Usually, yes. So in that in the uh, in the case of the trail, um, what the adventures are following is a series of clues that they use to discover the truth at the end of the investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, now, other obstacles can be in, in the way during this investigation. So the main obstacle is find the clue, move on to the next uh, encounter. But and really, that's probably be, not going to be an obstacle. It's probably just going to be a thing that you get the clue so that you can move on to the next part of the next right. part of the uh, investigation. Right. And so the other obstacles that can be thrown in um, you know, our combats or our obstacles, traps, anything else, yeah, role playing, anything, anything that keeps uh, that that blocks the progress of the characters through this trail of investigation. Um, time can can often be a factor in these investigations yeah. um, because time keeps on slipping, slipping, mm-hmm. slipping into, into the future because sure. that's a problem. Yes. <laughs> And so that can 
that can be used as a dramatic tool. Uh, it can be used as a game mechanical tool in order to ramp up the drama of can the characters follow the trail in time. And uh, that can be used to for you as the DM to control the resources of the players, right? Uh, if they can't take a short rest or a long rest because time is such a factor, then you are upping the drama of their resources being depleted before they can get to the end of the investigation trail. Mm -hmm. And also time could be one of those resources, but it doesn't have to be. It could be those other resources too. This is true. This is true. Time can be yeah, used as a resource um, to, to do more than what I said resource-wise. It can also be uh, – I, I think what you're trying to say is if you have a series of resources where hit points are one, spells are one, uh, this is – whatever other resources a character normally has on their character sheet, time could be something that they can use to solve problems. Uh, but the more time they use, the harder it's going to be. And the quicker they can do something, the easier it's going to be on those other resources. Yep. Or it could even be your failure structure. Oh, um, we'll talk about a little bit in the, in, in the in, pretty soon. We'll talk a little bit about okay. that. Go ahead then. Um, well, let's let's talk about the play because the okay. play style of this is about gaining information. I mean, it's the information which moves these kinds of uh, frameworks along, and then secondary information helps the characters piece together the investigation faster, allows them to see a broader picture, or gives them advantages in the future. Mm -hmm. So, these are um, the reason I, I kind of point out time and and the secondary information idea is because these are things that are not necessarily um, common in D&D &D and are not explained often very well in any of the D&D texts that exist. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a good thing to think about when you're designing this stuff and how you might have to explain a little bit more to the, to the GM DM uh, facilitator and also um, maybe have the, that, the facilitator also give that information to the players too, like being like, look, this is how this game kind of works. It's not the same kind of structure that we're used to using. Okay. So I'm I'm trying to to grok this, uh, and then explain it in a way that a, a DM who maybe hasn't run a lot of investigations can understand what oh, we're, we're getting at. I got one for you. So, okay. uh, let's let's talk about the structure of a D and D game then, right? Okay, cool. Um, so you're going to decide what kind of investigation you want your framework to support. That's sort of the trappings that you're putting in the framework. Is it going to be a crime? Is it going to be a mystery? Is it going to be tracking someone or something down? Right? Because okay. you could just be tracking someone or something down. Right. Um. You're going to create your spine of connecting clues and pointers. So pointers are like an, uh, something that you learn that will point you to the next thing that you have to do. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean that you tell as the facilitator or the game master. You don't tell them exactly what they have to do next, but you give them the clue and let them do something with it. Okay. Like th That's where the play comes in. Like, here's some information. Do something with it. Mm -hmm. Now, um, sometimes you have to frame that stuff a little bit harder. This is not necessarily like... It's not a it's a linear adventure, but it's not the simpler. It's not like we're going to keep walking down the the um, the dungeon corridor to the next space. Right. Like right. you actually have to think a little bit. because That's where the play is in this kind of game. Mm -hmm. um, then you need to decide while you're creating this adventure what your stakes and consequences are for failure and then build in where your points of failure can accumulate into the spine. So like mm -hmm. um, the most classic example of this stuff is the skill challenge. Mm hmm. Like, you can stick an overarching... I know everybody's groaning right now. It's a really good idea that was executed really poorly. <laughs> so, like, if you have a trail that has, like, seven clues in it, like, seven points that you have to follow, and on each of those points there's probably some sort of a, a role to be made that can get you the clue or not, mm -hmm. then you can put the skill challenge in there to be like, well, they're going to roll and they're going to pass or fail every time. If they fail three of those rolls, then the person probably... Get, then the thing that they're trying to track down... Um, they ran out of time, and whatever bad thing that was going to happen happens. Maybe okay. that's another murder. Maybe they right. don't catch the person. Yeah. So, so what what you're describing there is a skill challenge, not in the sense that in this one encounter they need to roll three successes before three failures. You're talking about over the extended adventure, in between all of the various encounters, are when those checkpoints take place. Correct. Okay. 
Yeah, because cool. every scene you're probably going to find every every one of those point moments right. uh, where a check will probably be made, you're going to get a clue. Mm-hmm. Now, really, the the role is to see how fast you find the clue, not whether you get the clue or not. Like, right. it's how yeah. good are you at, at actually investigating and keeping yourself moving along. Right. And so that's why you say it's very important to have consequences for failure, um, both w- in an individual scene where you're looking for a clue and in the overarching skill challenge, if you will, of putting those clues together and getting from one encounter to the next. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the trick with these and with these kind of uh, this framework is that your main beat is investigation. Like you're checking a scene out. You're looking around. It's uh, if you want some references, everyone like uh, think about point and click adventure games like that are timed. Like the, the, the concept is the same. Like mm-hmm. they are trying to make a role, which is basically them looking around the screen, trying to find the thing in enough time. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that is kind of that play, but then you want to balance that beat out with other things. Sure. Role playing, but role playing encounters could be another one of those things. You can actually, if you just want to have a pure investigation thing, you can just um, bounce it between like looking around a scene that has like stuff in it to talking to people to get information mm-hmm. from them. Both yep. of those things, those are those are two beats that you can use alternating. In fact, if you watch a lot of Law and Order, like mm-hmm. you'll see that structure. Right. So uh, at least in the law part, or in the in the law part, not the order part, whichever one's the cop side of it. <laughs> the I think that's that's I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. <laughs> to me, that's that's the order, right? Uh, the the law is in the courtroom. The order is the police. I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, whichever side that is, it should be order. Dun, law. Dun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so um. The other th- kind of beats that you can use is these are good places if you're running a home game um, to put your uh, personal PC stories in there. Like you can you can bring up things if they have overarching sort of plots that that individualized characters have. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's the trail. Does that make sense now from a D and D point of view, Sean? Yes, I, I think I think it does. All right, cool. So uh, let's talk about the dungeon. I love the dungeon. Yeah. So. The dungeon, as as I was reading uh, through your notes on on the the box and the trail, my first thought is the dungeon is kind of a mix of them. Because it, it kind of is because if you if you think of the classic dungeons of you know the the late seventies like White Plume Mountain and Tomb of Horrors, they're boxes, but they're not a box in the sense of a heist. They're a box in the sense of there's a goal, not necessarily an object, although sometimes it is, right? Sometimes it's the three magic weapons that were stolen um, by Karaptus, uh, uh, or it's, you know, whatever treasure has been stolen by a Sararak. Uh, th- there's a box that the characters are going into. But there's also a trail because you are, once you enter the box, you are, you are moving through, you are searching, you are exploring um, to get to the end where this this goal is yeah, and, and you're and you're investigating usually areas to try to get past them true uh so yeah it's so very it's, it's very interesting mm-hmm. how uh, how they're related um i think i think it's there it is kind of a mix of both of these but it's um there's something about the personal resource management component and the push your luck element that make them sli- that makes the dungeon a slightly different uh category true uh, yeah, especially in like first edition games, uh, where it was, you know, the, the wizard is out of spells. Do we rest? Do we leave? Or do we push forward? Um, are we in the best place to rest? Maybe there's a better place to rest ahead. Maybe we should just run right now because, uh, because we there's no way we can survive if we try to rest but then what happens to you know in the dungeon is every monster going to reappear are we then we'll just have to go through all of this again um so there was that component to it and you know it's it's a unique sort of story really uh yeah i mean dungeons um dungeons are so fascinating because of how they i mean the history that they they, they play in the game right mm-hmm. but also their um their structure can fulfill a lot of things mm-hmm. and you can almost put a lot of mini frameworks inside of the dungeon very true very true which is uh, um a little yeah. bit trickier in some of these other things to do i mean you can if you want to like like 
if you want to do a big old heist, like you could put a dungeon as one of the things that you have to go deal with in order to get the asset that you need to deal with your heist. Sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. like there's well, a, could... there's some cool nesting things you can do with these different frameworks. Yeah. And if if the dungeon's large enough, then you can, as you said, you could put any types of these stories or these frameworks within a a smaller dungeon. Right. Mm-hmm. Under Mountain, you could have one level be a heist, and the next level be a an investigation and the next level be one of these other ones that we're going to talk about. Uh-huh. Um, and the, the trail works real well, well there too. If you're trying to track someone down, cause you're basically mm-hmm. following their trail, like literally right. following their trail. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, I mean, we, we talked about, uh, kind of about the, the, the dungeon. We didn't really talk about the structure. Let's talk about the structure as far as D and D is concerned. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the important thing is you, you have to have a location to explore that is generally unknown or at least, if it is known, it's like famous and famous, I guess. Like, because Under Mountain's a fairly known space, but it keeps constantly changing because of Halister, right? Right. And and if you go back and think of the box that we talked about, um, really a difference is with with the heist with the box, you could get fairly detailed um, descriptions talking to guards when they're off duty get, getting them drunk right yeah getting um, getting information is part of the play of the right. box structure whereas the dungeon is go into it and explore it right and so you can hear rumors uh if you think back to all those old adventures there was always the rumor table uh-huh, right? uh-huh. you go to the inn and you hear some old adventurer say yeah i was down there once and you know in the second room there was this large metallic statue that moved now you don't know if it's true Mm-hmm. And you don't know the detail that you would get if you were doing a heist, but you you know something. Yes, absolutely. And part of the fun of the dungeon was always going in, exploring, learning something, then retreating and gathering the resources to go back in rather than to just have one shot to do it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. That's that's one of my my favorite things about the dungeon these days. Like I love right. that that thought of of that kind of playstyle, right? Mm-hmm. So you have this location to explore that is generally unknown. You could have rumors and things like that, but it's generally unknown. You're going to put obstacles within that location, all kinds of them. Um you could and you should probably put a goal within that location. The goal could be as simple as we're going to go into here looking for treasure. Mm-hmm. Like that's a goal, right? Like that's something for the players to go do. Right. Um, I, I would suggest, like we we kind of talked about it, but don't get it confused with the box because they can sometimes look the same, but they're not exactly the same. Right. Um, and then I think it's very important in a dungeon to keep to the theme and the tone, and remember the idea of the unity of effect. I think mm-hmm. Poe's unity of effect is very important for successful dungeons. Yeah, I I think so too. Uh, is there anything else about the dungeon as far as like structure and, and adventure types? No, I think I think we're good there. All right, let's talk about the siege. This is interesting. Yeah, I added this because uh, as I was thinking about all of these uh, adventure types, where we're talking about, we're going out into the dungeon. We're going to the box. We are following the trail. Um, there is a type of adventure that's really the opposite. Uh, in this kind of adventure, the characters are pretty much in one place, relatively speaking. Uh, you can al- you can almost say that they they are inside the box, and the action is always coming to them. Yeah. And, yep. They're they're actually part of the box, right? <laughs> right. And, and so I I call it the siege because a siege is a great example of this type of adventure. Um, the 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 characters are inside the the castle, and there's an army attacking. And so uh-huh. they don't they don't ever have to leave the castle to have a full adventure. Um, and it is sort of event based. Chris asked in our notes, is this an event based adventure? It, it, it is. Um, it's an event based adventure because um, the this is usually something that happens in waves. Right uh, there. There's a defense strategy. The characters might have time to help set up the defenses but then the attack comes. So they are moving around within the box, um, dealing with these events that are happening to them. Ah, uh, see, there's a, there's a, there's an element of this that I didn't even think to write in there. Cause yeah. so if we're going to talk about the structure of this thing, like mm-hmm. if you're going to invent a structure for this, like you first thing you do is you need to pick a place to be for the, mm-hmm. for the characters to be. And this, yeah. 
uh, and depending on your scope, which you can see our previous installment of this series, like it could be something as large of a plane of existence or as small as an inn. Right. That's a, that's a, was a really good point when you wrote that. I'm like, that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, then you have to give the player characters some amount of time to set up their defenses. Mm-hmm. Like that's an important part of a siege. Yes. Because yep. if you don't give them that time, then it's not really a siege, right? They're just, it, it, I mean, it could be, but it's, it, you feel like you're missing a, a, an important part of the, 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 the structure. Yep. And, and it's, it's analogous to um, during a heist, you know, your preparation for getting information and finding the resources you need to get in. It, this is similar but opposite, right? Mm-hmm. It's, gather, it's gathering information and gathering the resources to keep something out. So when you're designing the adventure, you actually have to give space in the adventure for the player characters to do that. That's a, it's right. important. And figure out, like, well, what resources do they actually have at their disposal? Like, they might ask a bunch of questions. So you kind of have to know what is around. So that's right. a part of the design that you have to think about. Right. If, if you're at the scope of a castle, you know, do we have vats of oil that we could dump on people that are, you know, trying to get in? Uh, do we have what... Uh, forces do we have at our disposal can we send the archers to this wall where there are flying creatures coming and then send you know the sappers to this part where we have underground enemies trying to dig under you know that that sort of resource management yeah i could think of two pretty good nerd examples of the siege out there in 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 media um that spring off the top of my head the one is helm's deep the battle at helm's deep because you know that was the movie did a pretty good job, I think, of showing that. The other one is um, Army of Darkness yeah. when Ash is getting ready to fight the Army of the Dead because they actually build that car out like that is part of their planning phase and they set up their their defenses to defend the Necronomicon. Yep. As much as I, I mean, that movie is campy and lovely and wonderful in all all those ways, but like from from a from a structure point of view, like it's a really good movie to look at that way. Mm-hmm. And and when you're doing it in a game. Um, whether it's a heist or whether it's a dungeon or whether it's a trail, um, you always have to be ready and willing to limit the the preparation as well. Yes. Um, because if you don't limit the preparation, it may go on for far too long. Yeah. So here's a good thing to do for that if you want to D&D Because there's not a bunch of good rules in the book for that. You kind of have to ad hoc some stuff. But if you want to, you can be like, look... You have X amount of units of time, and basically you're going to be like, you all have two units of time to spend on doing things. And then you can assign, based on how they say things, like, well, that'll cost you a combined total of three units of time. Who wants to work on this? Yep. And then always have checks to go along with it with consequences for success or failure. Which could be a number of things such as, well, that took you less time, it took you more time, it cost you more resources than you intended, you took some damage, lose a hit die, you know. Right. Yep. Pick a pick make make yourself a list of those things. Kind of kind of broad strokes. Yep. Yep. Because you never yeah. know what they're gonna do in those planning phases. And sometimes it can also be fun on a smaller level to have a siege where there is no planning time. You're setting it in, you know, at this small way station on the on a wild road. And all of a sudden, orcs are outside and they're coming. Yeah, that's There's a no really time cool to plan. way to start. <laughs> just, just go, um, and and that's cool too. Start your campaign that way, right? Yep. There you go. Well, it's the it's the campaign where we fight an orc army for like you know, you know, twelve sessions. So uh, yep. it yep. starts with we're sitting in and we get attacked by like five hundred orcs. Yep. And in that, in that case, you can really use these adventure types broadly to run a cool campaign because you start with the siege, right? Then you go to the investigation. Then you go to the box as they break into the you know, orc war chief's uh, fort uh-huh. to steal the idol that they are uh, gaining their power from. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then, so you know, now you're, you're seeing all of this come together in a cool way to use frameworks as large beats in a campaign. Yippers. Um I think we're out of time for this yes, week. Yes, we definitely are, but we have yeah. more stuff to talk about next yeah. time about frameworks. Yeah, we'll keep talking about it. Next time we'll talk about event-based hex maps and relationship maps, uh, like exploration drama and uh, and, yeah, and events. And okay. that, that'll that be our, our next episode, which will be so, pretty solid. Sounds good. Uh, now we're going to go to an interview, though, with uh, Fenway Jones. We mentioned it earlier. Uh, 
She's you said in charge of the the Jasper's game day and game day and Jasper stream of the week, and she has some other things going on, right? Yes. So uh, all of that is explained in the interview that will begin right now. Are you ready to get down with D and D? I know I am, and I am joined for this special interview by the one, the only, the ferocious. The fierce, the fabulous Fenway Jones. Hello, Fenway. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on the show to chat with us today. Uh, how's your day going? My day is going pretty good, and uh, thank you for having me on here today. Oh, it is my pleasure. We've talked about you on the show before, and we've always said, okay, it's time to have, have Fenway come on, and something <laughs> always gets in the way. We finally made it happen, because there's lots of cool things going on uh, with you, which we're going to talk about, correct? Yes, yes. All right. So, for those of uh, those of our listeners who may have missed the times we've talked about you, could you just give your give your your brief introduction um, personally and in the gaming world? Yeah. So, hi, I'm Fenway Jones. Uh, I am a high school student, a sophomore, sixteen year old. Um, I'm known as the Teen DM on Twitter. Uh, I just started DMing about two to three years ago after getting into D&D about two years before that, and I started writing adventures. I've written three adventures so far, and I also founded Jasper's Game Day, the nonprofit organization. So that's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about your gaming history first. Um, so it you, sounds like you've been playing for a few years. Yes, I have. Now, is this something that you found on your own? Is it a family tradition? Is it something altogether out in left field? So, my dad and his uh, really good friend have been playing since they were both 15. Um, So, they've been playing for a really long time, and they got me into it, and that just, it started as an online thing, and we would do it every other week or once a month, something like that. And then I wanted to get more into it. And so my dad actually helped me get to a store, and we started their D&D program um, at one of the stores here in Michigan. Okay. So is this something that you watched people play when you were very young, and so you really wanted to uh, to get into it? Or is it something that, that just kind of happened later in life? No, so actually I had never watched anyone play it before I was like 11, and, uh, but my, I've always had a huge imagination and I've loved creating uh, scenarios in my head, so my dad was super excited about that and thought it would be a great idea to get me into D&D, and obviously I've loved it. <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, with three adventures under your, under your belt you know, by the age of 16, I think that's that's a, a pretty, it shows both creativity and a love of the game. <laughs> so let, let's talk about that. Uh, so the adventures that you've written so far, I know of two of them because they're up on the DMs Guild. Yes. Uh, one is Dead Men Feel No Cold. Mm-hmm. And the other is Left Black and Blue. Correct, yes. Correct? So what, what, what's the third one? The third one is actually in the uh, third volume of the Uncaged uh, series. Uh, yeah, yes. so it technically hasn't come out yet. Um, but if we're talking about ones that haven't come out yet, I also wrote one for the upcoming D8, um, uh, convention, and I wrote one for my Jasper's convention, and then I am writing for GaryCon and GameholeCon. Alright, so everything except the Uncaged are all Adventures League, kind of CCC adventures? Yes. Okay, so let's talk about those first, um... What, what was it like for you to to delve into that field? Because that can be an intimidating thing for someone who has been around playing D&D for ages uh, and has English degrees. <laughs> so, uh, so what was it like for you? It was interesting at first. It was very intimidating, like you said. Um, but luckily, I actually wrote my first adventure with the help of Satine Phoenix. So okay. that was very helpful and I was always in contact with other people in the AL world so I had them to help me move along my ideas and show me where the details needed to be Um, so I luckily had a lot of support through my first adventure writing um, process so that was 
super helpful. So it wasn't as bad as I expected it to be. I was super nervous about it, um, but it turned out to be a lot of fun, and I have since loved loved doing it. Yeah, it's it's always I think great to have that kind of mentor uh, to help you along, especially in something as so, sometimes it's hard to wrap your mind around how structured an Adventures League adventure needs to be with the formatting and the flow and especially in, in the latest seasons where they have the bonus encounters that need to go in a certain place yes. at a certain time and, and it, that's that takes a lot of brain work to figure out where's the best place to mm-hmm. put things and so you know, having, having a mentor help you along uh, is definitely a good way to go to get started. Oh yeah absolutely that was I think that was the best part and we have since She's become my mentor in everything D&D, so it's it's a lot of fun. But actually, my first adventure was in like this previous Season 7 or the previous season's format, and then my next adventure was in... It was right as they created the Season 8 format, so it was a huge change in a few months. Now, what was, what was one of the um, surprises to you about writing an adventure like that, especially... Um, you know, for an organized play campaign? Well, I was at first, so my first adventure was a murder mystery. Mm, so I was tough too. Yes. <laughs> so I chose a very hard uh, adventure to start with. So my mo- biggest struggle was the amount of scenarios you needed to cover. So you need to have an option for this and an option for this and some suggestions for that over there. And of course you can't cover everything, but you want to cover as much as possible. So that was surprising to me because I had always seen it in the adventures, but it had never processed that I needed. I would need to do it in my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, being, a, being a writer um, kind of takes being a DM. Right, because you need to be able yes. to think through <laughs> of all these players that I've played with or all these tables that I've run over the years, how would those people have handled that? And I need to be ready in, in my text to, to cover that stuff. Right. Um, so it definitely something that comes with experience. Now, that was Dead Men Feel No Cold, I believe, right? Yes, it was. Okay. And uh, that was a CCC for ZeekCon? Yes. For, so uh, the local store that my dad and I started at is Zeech Games. And um, I wrote that for their second year convention. Okay. Excellent. And so what have you learned now that you've gone from this first one through season seven now into season eight and you've gotten even more now under your belt? Um, You know, what kind of lessons have you learned uh, in this process? So I have definitely learned that I don't need to cover every single thing. My first adventure is very long and very detailed, which in some parts can be good, but with the new Season 8 format, you're supposed to leave a lot up to the DMs. And at first that was very difficult for me, but I have since gotten used to that and learned that you can leave things up to the DM and leave details up to the imagination um, and for specific games and things like that. So just the, I don't have to cover everything, because I'm a bit OCD in my writing, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but, so that was my, my lesson, biggest lesson. Yeah, I mean, that's, the, you know, that's a great point, and moving from season seven to season eight, where things are supposed to be a little more um, malleable for the DM to, to run the fun game, I can't imagine writing a murder mystery in that new format. That would be very, very hard to do. So I think you did a good, a smart thing by by getting that murder mystery uh, Jones if you out, yes. out, out <laughs> during season seven uh, because season eight that would be tough to uh, to do. Now let's move to Uncaged because I think Uncaged is a great volume one came out and mm-hmm. I you know, I bought it, read it, just very gripping, great stories, a great subversive look at all the tropes. Um, that we've seen from these monsters over the years. Can you t- can you tell us, since it hasn't come out yet, I don't want to spoil too much, but can you tell us something about that that you worked on? Yeah, so my favorite part about the whole Uncaged thing was that it was female monsters uh, from Greek mythology. 
And so I was I was doing some research for it, and I actually found a lot of monsters because I'm a Greek mythology nerd. But I actually found a lot of monsters that I didn't know were female, like the Chimera, um, and things like that. And of course, you know the Medusas, you know the Sirens, that sort of thing. But I was just surprised that the Chimera was female, and so that's actually my uh, main monster in my adventure is the Chimera, just because awesome. of my fascination with that. And did that, um, what did you learn in, in that uh, project? Anything that you can share with us? Um, I learned that uh, research is key. Mm. So for my, for my two previous adventures, I had had to do a little bit of research, but I didn't know, I actually, I already knew a lot about the subjects I was writing about. And I know a lot about Greek mythology, but not the monsters that I had specifically wanted to use. So I had learned that research is key. Mm -hmm. Definitely true. I I was a minor in uh, like Greek and Roman uh, culture in college. So I, hearing you talk about this, I'm like, yes, I want to write. Uh, yes. Just you know, volume <laughs> one of Uncaged was, was incredible. And I'm very much looking forward to the next two volumes coming out. To, uh, to see what you have come up with. So, uh, is it is is it going to be the same sort of thing? Adventures focusing on these uh, mythological beings. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Well, I will definitely be looking for that when it comes out. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited to see the reactions for volumes two, three, and four. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's great that there was the volume one. So I'm yes you know, super <laughs> stoked that that there's going to be four full volumes. So let's switch gears for a second and talk about Jasper's Game Day and your work um, with the American Association of Suicidology. Okay. Could you tell us, just walk us through how that came about and, uh, and where it's going? Yes, so Jasper's Game Day started out, um, I lost two friends to suicide within the span of about 10 months. And that was a super devastating occurrence for me. And I was just sitting back and looking at the devastation that their families were experiencing, um, that their friends were, and how it had affected their community. And I noticed a gap in the gaming industry for a suicide prevention um, charity and events and things of that nature. So I wanted to use my pain to create something that could help people with happiness and hope for themselves. Um, that were in either the suicidal thoughts and feelings or the aftermath of suicide. Um, so that's that's where it all came from. And last year, it was actually going to be a one-day event. And then we got blown up with support and people wanting a next year and people thinking it was fantastic. So we decided to go on to the next year. And so that's this year, and we partnered with the American Association of Suicidology, who has since uh, connected us with crisis centers across the U.S., because we have stores in different locations across the U.S., like California, Massachusetts, North Carolina, Florida. Um, so we have stores there, and we connect them with local crisis centers, because it's important to us that the money stays local to those uh, stores that are doing our Jasper's Game Day. Okay, so if a store um, anywhere where anyone's listening to this is interested in joining up, um, what do what what's involved in getting a Jasper's Game Day for them? So this year we are actually going to be providing them with three CCCs that they can run. Um, okay. They can run anything else that they want to but we suggest running the three CCCs because they are provided. We also have a Jasper's Game Day AL cert, so we are going to be providing that to them. Um, but really, it's just having a amount of time where people can do reroll tickets, uh, where people can, if they want to, do raffles, uh, just play and raise money for a local crisis center. So... <laughs> And as you said, all the money that that's raised at that store will goes locally to the uh, to the nearest crisis center. Yes. So the nearest crisis center um, that will work with us 
surprisingly there are some who don't want to work with us but <laughs> we we uh it's it's interesting to see that but that's a whole other conversation so we um we partner with actually a lot of crisis centers in that area but the closest one we can find to the store is where the money goes because we found that people are much more accepting of the game day when they know where the money is going and what they know what the money is going to be doing yeah so how has um how has both uh, support on the wizards and the adventures league side been and how has support on the uh, on the end user if you will on the player side been especially in the, in this gaming community so wizards in the al side has been they, they've both been fantastic uh we've received a lot of people spreading the the word about jasper spreading um all of our events and that sort of thing and a, a lot of donations from people like random people on twitter and companies like dogmite wormwood monkwood that sort of thing um and wizards of course and we've just we've received a lot of support um there i don't really think there have been any bad experiences that i've had um with people being down on it or anything it's it's funny you know i've been in i've been in the hobby and in the industry for quite a few years now and I find gamers to be so giving uh, of themselves, and that you always get small pockets here and there of, of others. But, yes. You know, for the, but for the most part, uh, very empathetic, very you know, very willing to give of themselves and sit and listen and talk. Um, yeah, it's just it's a great community. I've I've found it really is. Yes, they have. I've found since doing this that. The gaming community, uh, in the most part, wants to do nothing but to help each other, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen like the hashtag D and D family uh, going around is because yeah. it definitely it definitely can feel that way. Yeah, and you're you're moving even beyond Jasper's game day now. Um, what's going on with Jasper's stream week? So Jasper's Stream Week, it is going to be a streaming week where we have five days of eight hours of streaming a day um, of D&D, &D, and we have people like uh, you <laughs> and Lisa and uh, James Introcaso and uh, lots of different people involved in this um, Stream Week where we're going to be raising money for... Uh, the American Association of Suicidology has a national youth board, and so we're going to be raising money for them so that they can do the teamwork in the nation. Um, because we know that um, the stream has no one specific location, so we want it to go to a, a national thing so it can help as many people as possible. Okay, and now if, if I'm Remembering this correctly, you are raffling off spots in the stream where people can come and play with uh, those that have been selected to play? Yes. So we have a flagship event um, each night that's going to be from 8 p.m. Eastern to midnight Eastern. And there is one spot each night uh, from May 12th to May 16th that we are raffling off. It's $5 per raffle ticket. And you can go to Jasper's Game Day on Tiltify and donate there and buy a raffle ticket to be able to possibly have the chance to play at one of these games. And for most games, that should be a, a prize. Um, yes. I cannot make any promises to the person who wins for the night that I'm going. It may be uh, an experience <laughs> other than that. We, we'll, we'll find out. It'll be uh, great. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. So, um, so what? I, I did. This isn't the question that I planned ahead of time. But it just popped in my head. So, you know, what? What are your goals moving forward? Um, you know, what? What? You, if you have to say, you know, in one year or in two years or in four or whatever, you know, where would you like to see? Not just. Uh, you know the Jasper's game day and, and all the good that goes with that, but with you personally, you know, what would you like to 
to be seeing uh, for yourself? Well, I'll start off with Jasper's Game Day and move to myself. Uh, so okay. Jasper's Game Day, I want it to be have more reach in the states. Uh, so I want it to be in more states and um, in more locations. So that's what I want there. I want to have a, as big of a, a reach as possible. Um, for myself, I want to continue writing um, and get as many adventures under my belt as possible. Just keep getting the experience, because uh, experience is definitely um, necessary. Um, I, I don't know when this would happen, but one of my goals would definitely be to sometime become a DM at D&D in a castle. <laughs> I I don't know I don't know when that'll be or if it'll be but it's one thing that I want to work up to possibly happening because um, I know it's I know it's a big goal but it's something to look forward to in the future. Oh, that's yeah, that's a goal of mine too. So we share that, sister. <laughs> we share that one. That's great. Um, so anything else that you want to talk about? Uh, any other where you where are uh, you going to be? that people can meet you uh, coming up, any conventions or any game days uh, that, that you can go Yeah, into? so I will be at the D8 Summit um, uh, the first week of May. Of course, I'll be at my Michigan store for Jasper's Game Day on May 11th. Um, I will be at MomoCon the next weekend. Okay. Or no, the... Jasper's or the D and D live stream. Mm -hmm. uh, the next week I did MomoCon. The weekend after that. <laughs> wow! So you're gonna be very busy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, th that's what my schedule looks like right now. And then I will be at Origins and probably Gen Con. Okay. Cool. Because I know I've seen you at at various events uh, like uh, Winter Fantasy. I, I yes. saw you there. I think I saw you at PAX. Uh, yeah. PAX Unplugged, too. So uh, you are getting out there uh, around in the world, yes. which, is, which is great to see. It's, well, it's I, a lot of fun. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you for coming on and, and telling us about what you've been doing. And uh, where can people follow you, find you, uh, websites? Uh, so the Jasper or Fenway Jones is Teen DM on Twitter. I am uh, Jasper's Game Day on Facebook. Jasper'sGameDay.com is my website, um, and I think that's it right now. I'm in the process of possibly making a website for me and what I'm doing, but that's that's in the future. <laughs> Absolutely, and you can also look for Uncaged. Uh, right now, Volume 1 is out, and when it is out, look for Volumes 2 and 3, and you can get your adventure by Fenway Jones in Volume 3 of Uncaged. Yes, and of course on the DMs Guild for the other two adventures that I've made so far. Yep, and I, I will repeat those, The Dead Men Feel No Cold, and Left Black and Blue, which is a Jasper's Game Day um, adventure. Yes, it is. <laughs> all right. Well, I want to thank all our listeners out there, um, and I will kick us back to our regular show now. Sean, that was a really lovely interview. Yeah, I mean, she is a wonderful person. Obviously, she works very hard, uh, both at you know being a teenager in the world today, but you know doing all this great stuff with with her charity, and then being a a D and D creator on the on the side as well is is amazing, which is pretty awesome. Yep. Well, that's a uh, that's all for this week. I suppose we should do some Patreon shoutouts before we get out of here, huh? Sounds good. All right. Uh, Tim McCoye, Wayne Peterson, Jason Pitt, Donahue McCarthy, Nate Brooms, Evil Rich, John Just John, Jean Lorbert, Steve Bissonette, The Space Rhino, Ryan Bolter, Chelsea Clark, Robert Day, Matthew Pezzarelli, and Dan Simons. Thank you so much for being our patrons and listening to Down with D and D. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for just $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes, and you have access to our Slack room, the Misdirected Mark Slack room, where you can chat with us whenever and wherever you so choose. 
Uh-huh. And if you could do us a favor out there in listener land and just give us an Apple podcast review, it really helps us move up the rankings and let people know that we exist out there so more people can enjoy Down With D&D. Or share us on your favorite social media site because we like that as well. We really do. We really do love that quite a bit, in fact. Um, Sean, man, where can we find you on the Internet? The best place to find me is on Twitter at Sean Merwin. How about you, Chris? Well, if you want to find me and, and roll that nat 20, it can be at Misdirected Mark. That is the Twitter that you can find me at. Or you can just go to the website. Like That is another crit that you can catch this show. You can also catch other great shows like She's a Super Geek, which might be the most important role-playing game, actual play podcast on the Internet because, you know, it features women uh, GMs and it highlights them and it empowers them to be game masters. So you should join Senda and Andy every other Tuesday for lots of different role-playing games and guests. So aside from all that lovely stuff that you get there, you get tons and tons of different games that you might not hear in other places. Good stuff. Uh, Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production. The media arm of Encoded Designs. Hey man, what are we going to do now, Sean? Like Mad Wizard, what's up now? We are going to go kill some siege monsters. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you're down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D and D. Down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D?